this has turned more than about George Floyd's murder. It felt like the country was saying, I can't breathe. The apathy. Like I said, if you see it, you have to call it out now because the non-willingness to engage is also hurting. And we can't just hope the next generation just comes up to that conclusion. Yeah. We have to have these engaging conversations with our kids because they trust black people are. Black yeah. people yeah. can't afford not to have those conversations. Welcome to the American and the Immigrant Podcast. I'm Cameron. And I'm Ber- Oh, shit. Did I just say my whole government name? Almost did. <laughs> BK. And I'm BK. <laughs> That's right. You can tell the people your full name, I guess, yeah? Burkett. Burkett. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. And then with the Ethiopian accent is Burkett. It's, it's 12 episodes. It's time for us to finally... Get to let them let them in uh, let them in on all the secrets. <laughs> you know the funny thing is when somebody calls me Burkett, I know they've known me from like a long time. That's somebody right. from my past. Yeah. Like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time I heard that? You know? Yeah, like that knew like that like knew you when you were a kid, right? Like Yeah. Right. Because I haven't yeah. used Burkett. It's like what your family yeah. says to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, no, but um, welcome in everyone. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well out there. And you know, obviously, we're in um, you know a crazy time. I mean, we've we've kind of I don't know. I mean, we've sort of plateaued or crested the the COVID nineteen hill, um, and now we're in a completely kind of different state of upheaval. Um, you know, with protests and with what happened to George Floyd and um, uh, Breonna Taylor. And just, you know, the list goes on and on. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, we're just, I think that's what we should talk about. It just feels natural during this time. Um, and so, you know, BK, obviously, Barakat, uh, you being, you know, uh, an immigrant from Africa, um, yep. you know, how how do you view all of this? I mean, what's your, what's your personal, I mean, do you have like a, a personal stake personal stories anything that that's happened to you uh just growing up in america yeah yeah um so so being an immigrant and in itself there's like several hurdles you have to get by just to even understand what community you're in right the language barrier the culture barrier the uh financial barrier so there are certain things that automatically set you off when you come from another place, especially from an African nation or from a poor country of South America. You've already started on a back step, on a back foot, right? And so knowing that and then, or without knowing that, you go engage with society here in America and you quickly understand that Oh man, there is a a class here. There's a race class here. There's a structure here, right? And as we know, white males are top, right? And then, even though I'm an immigrant, even though I don't, I, I wasn't born here. My family wasn't born here. We quickly understood, and were. Uh, generalized and sectioned into one group, right? And that yep. group would technically be African Americans. Mm-hmm. 
So with that, I understood, okay, that's the category you're going to put me in. You know, I have no problem. I, I am African and I'm an American today because I'm a citizen today. So I am an African American, you know? So I'm proud of that to say that. But the first thing, one of the first thing, we came here in December of 1989. December of 1989. And in February of, uh, February 4th, 1999, Amadou Diallo, I don't know if you remember him. He was the African, uh, the West African, he was from Guinea. Uh, he was shot down by NYD police, shot over 41 times, right, in front of his own home because he was reaching for his wallet because they were asking him for identification. But he had turned around or something through the stories. He was murdered in front of his home. And his mother, who was in Africa at that time, heard the heard that her son was something was wrong. And she came here and we saw it on TV, her crying, screaming out for his name. And that's the first time I saw police injustice here wow. in America. Yeah, that was a. You said it was in New York, right? It was in New York, but it took it took over the nation because she came over. Uh, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton went to uh, Guinea and he saw his body being buried. He took on a very active role into creating awareness of what's going on over there in New York. All right, and. With that, I didn't necessarily understand it or comprehend the situation because of the language barrier, but you knew something was off. And then when they, when those police officers got off, you had a question like, oh, they could do that. Right. Yeah. It's not something that you, like you just weren't familiar with that, right? At all. At all. Right. But with knowing that where we came from, Ethiopia, there's cops, but they're not cops. It, it's it's local, uh, um, local policemen that are assigned by the community, but they're not they're not official. They don't have powers of uh, of going and solving problems. It's just like it, it's it's a community more. Uh, they actually go to the older leaves of the community more than they go to police. So seeing here as an immigrant, there's a police that you could call upon help whenever you need help. That was a new idea, but not understanding the hostility and the history of policing in America. Yeah. Especially the policing towards African-Americans and the whole slave protection uh, that was created under that. And so once you start getting educated and once you start realizing and the awareness that comes behind it, it's heavy to ignore. Mm -hmm. It's heavy not to empathize it's heavy not to sympathize and so with that i took on that identity and i took on that battle with me as well yeah yeah i think um you're right you mentioned like i mean it's just a complicated messy um just awful really like there's really no other (laughs) there's really no other word for it just awful history um that you know, yeah, even beyond like obviously slavery, which was how the country was built economically, and it was basically just this massive um, slave, com- yeah, like slave industry complex. I mean, it was just yeah. all tied together. I mean, it um, was but even, but even beyond to the Constitution of the Confederates, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 then 
you know, even beyond like after that, after the Civil War and after um, we abolished slavery, I mean, Jim Crow, it just never really um, it, it's just as if like uh, the U.S. and a lot of Americans, especially like white Americans. I mean, let's yeah. just be frank, um, just kind of chose to like not, you know, it, it, like I think a lot of times they just chose to ignore it. Right. Um, like what was going on? Right. In other parts of the country. I mean, obviously in the South, it was worse. Right. And there was uh, I mean, they're just murder. They were murders, lynchings, things like that. And a lot of it was the police force was in police sanctioned share of the local the local law who was in their prisons. Almost four thousand lynch lynching happened between the end of of, um, the end of uh, Civil War all the way to the 1950s. So there was like there's actually a memorial um that was created by brian stevenson who's a great lawyer who's a great spokesperson for the african-american community which he uh created a a museum and a memorial for those four thousand lynching victims yeah and knowing that like that the police some of them almost almost like 50 to 60 percent of them were in police custody and the local militia took the law into their own hands and went inside these so-called justice upheld buildings and they took them and, and lynched them in yeah. front of everybody. Yeah. There was pictures, there are pictures that so have been have been taken quoting, oh, this is our Sunday barbecue in their Sunday best. Mm-hmm. With kids, yep, ten thousand people out. That gets passed down. Yeah, and it's and it's like what you just described, right? Is it's just grotesque, right? Like it 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 almost doesn't seem like human in a way at all, you know. And and I think just from my perspective, and obviously, like you you said, I mean, white males, uh, which I am, um, are are our tops in, in, in American society. And I can tell you like growing up in the Midwest in the, in a rural community that was, um, essentially, you know, for, for all, for this purposes, I don't know the actual makeup, but let's just say it was, it was nearly a hundred percent, right. Let's just say it was nearly a hundred percent white. Right, right. Right. Um, and, and I think, I don't, you, it's one of those things where you, you retrospectively, you look back at it and you go, shit, uh, like this, a lot of the stuff I was taught was just whitewashed. And you don't, you know, you don't know that when you're there because you I don't, don't know any better, right? right? You're just like, you're just, you're learning what everyone around you is teaching you, right. teachers and, and parents and things like that. Right. Um, and so it wasn't really until like I left the community and you know when I said you left, I, I mean college when I set off right, like when I, you know, set off on my adult <laughs> to become an adult, right. um, and then and then that's when you you know you really start to see like different, um, not only like different perspectives, but that's when it really it was open to me. Um, you know, I, I was I I was actually fortunate enough to go to like a I think like a good school. I mean, it was a liberal arts school, um, but it you know it was very like. The, the the teachers and professors and everything were really good, right. um, 
and didn't like hold back on any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I also, I, um, you know, my roommate, uh, uh, my, my junior year, uh, was from DC actually. Um, and we're still friends today and the way that he grew up and just hearing his stories and basically, you know, how he came from nothing, um, like his dad was not in the picture and, you know, just again, like just, just a simple thing as like meeting somebody who has had a completely different experience than what you knew. Um, and then realizing, you know, as you're accumulating knowledge that that is, is unfortunately like more common, uh, than you would like to like to believe. Right. Uh, And so, yeah, it's just like what I'm, the way I just, it makes me feel like when, um, you know, I feel, I feel, um, heartened by the, the, the protests and I, and seeing like, especially in in this area, like, you know, uh, it's like a a diverse population out there, right? Like, you know, together, united, like this is enough, you know, that's one thing that I see is very diverse. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, like white, you know, black Americans, like Asian American, like it's just, it's just like basically the entire, um, um, like multiracial type of, uh, type of protest. And it's just like, it's heartening, but at the same time, like now I, you know, and I've, I've kind of been like battling a little bit with like people that I knew, uh, who, who still stick around to those what do you mean battling? Right? Well, it's just like, you know, um, they still kind of have those, those views that, you know, and I think a lot of it's just shrouded in ignorance, right? Because they don't, right. you know, they haven't, they haven't set out and they haven't talked to anybody else and they haven't set, seen anybody else's experience. They, they haven't really challenged themselves. Yeah. Right? They haven't like challenged themselves to actually, you know, go out and see what it, and see like what it's like for some of these individuals that grew up in a completely different America from you. Um, and I think, just for me, like that's where I feel like I can be maybe of use is just to, you know, knowing what I know now and 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 like being the the generation, like another generation that can like move it forward, right? Yeah. And like I have children, and I they're you know I have biracial children, and it's like now their generation, like hopefully they can take an even further step than we have, right. and like just that continuing on and kind of. Um, you know, making sure that the progress is not, is not, you know, goes backwards. <laughs> and, and, uh, because it, it seems like throughout history, that's what you see. Um, like you said, with Jim Crow, it's like every time we took a step back or, uh, sorry, every time we took a step forward, we took like a few steps back. Um, and just a lot of problems never got solved. And so that's why, that's why it's so sometimes, um, hard to believe or like feel optimistic about where the future is going. Because like Martin Luther King said, like uh, the road to change is not a linear passage, you know? And so I understand that you're going to move forward. You're going to move back. You're going to, but at the same time, what about the humanity of it? Like, Mm -hmm. how does that change? How, how, How do you not feel the, like we all know now today, scientifically, we're all the same. Skin is just your your body uh, um, engaging with the environment. That's all yeah. it is. And so, with that, no, with that knowledge, 
for you to hold these kind of uh, opinions, it's something that you're holding on to purposely. I can't, I can't hold it up to ignorance anymore because we have the internet. Yeah. I can't hold it up to ignorance anymore because you know one or two person of color that has made it, right? Like the person you just said, right? Right? And instead of using that person as an example of saying like, uh, you know, see, you made it, the system works. No, that person had to work that much or three times harder to achieve what you've done in your sleep. Right. Yes, that's that privilege. Is... That's the definition of the actual privilege. That's what, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. I so just... not knowing that, even acknowledging that, mm-hmm. that right there is a different battle. Yeah. I'll give an example. Even going through the criminal justice system, that's something I went through. Right. So my first charge, my first uh, arrest was um, a marijuana charge. Right. And uh, it was I had bought the marijuana using my friend's money who had to be who was white. And he was on my wrestling team. His, uh, his brother was on the wrestling team and they were older than me. And uh, I was working at a store called Forever 21 at that time. And so on my lunch break, I helped them get the bud. And they're like, yo, do you want to smoke? Uh, and they're going on ocean. They're going to Ocean City, so they asked me if I wanted to smoke. I was like, sure. Um, and then we're going through the parking lot of the mall that I was working at, and we're passing a cop. All right, in the parking garage, we're passing a cop to go smoke, and I get paranoid, and I'm like, Ugh. right. And he says. Total two different reactions, mm-hmm. right? Then we park and we start smoking. Once we start smoking, about like halfway through the J, the police that we passed, she's pulling up right in front of us. We get pulled out because the bud was in the glove compartment. And since I'm in the front seat, his brother's in the back seat, he's in the driver's seat. Uh, me and him go to jail because the they can't tell whose butt it is. And I'm in yeah. the vicinity. Right. Right. That enters me into the criminal justice system. Yep. He, his father, his stepfather, uh, his mother's uh, uh, husband was the sheriff for Virginia's uh, Arlington uh, County. Right. So in about two months, he wraps up his case. And he goes to California and enjoys his life. I so get did put he, on an 18 month probation. Did he get like some sort of um like where he could just do a three a couple months of service and then it gets wiped off type of thing? Or what like what was he like had a lawyer? Okay, so he didn't he had nothing happen to him. Nada. Oh my god. Nada. Nada. I, on the other hand, took a public defender and I got an 18-month probation. Throughout that 18 months, I had to piss clean every day, I mean, every week on a Thursday. I had to get off work, travel. I didn't drive at that time, so I had to take a bus, which means I had to block off like three to four hours 
just on a Thursday afternoon just so I could go. So I, just like a, a young person, I failed it. I failed the probation and I get uh, sent to jail. And I was sent in jail for two months because I violated probation. Man. And dude they didn't took get me any out of probation. college. They took me out of college. I was, on, I was in my third semester of my third year. I got taken out of college, so I lost my scholarship. I lost my FAFSA. If you have a police worker, if you have a drug, you can't apply for FAFSA. So now my life just took a career left and I refused to just work at any place. So I decided to become an entrepreneur and a hairstylist. I went to school and now working my way, I own my own business. But look how our life just, just with one decision just takes a toll and you just get deeper and deeper. From 18 to I was about 24, I was in the criminal justice system. Yeah. yeah, it's just like it's a roadblock, right? It's just That's an extra thing. roadblock, an extra hurdle, an extra hoop that we make, um, you know, that we it's make hop this jump through. Yeah, and, yeah. And none of it, as a person who should be working and trying to, my bad, I fucked up. Sorry. Now you're making me even pay more to the to have, be on probation, to have the pest test, to pay the court fees. And then you expect me to leave work and then come piss. And like, the whole system doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it was well, his I'm car, right? Correct? The, say that again? Uh, it was his car. It was his car. That right there, right? You, you think about it. And it's it's just like one of those things where it's just so obvious that it the brunt of it should have went on him, right? Watch right? this. He had like three bongs in the back. They had two bottles of vodka in their car. Yeah. And none of us were 21. Yeah. See, it's just, it's, it's, it's rigged. I mean, right. But it's weird that he didn't notice that nothing went wrong happened. <laughs> and I was, sometimes we catch up and I tell him what had happened. And he's like, well, you should have gotten a lawyer. I'm like, dude, I was 18 and, I'm working on Forever 21, like... Yeah. I mean, so... His parents walked him through the process, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will admit, like, even... So, I completely agree that, like, it's a different... It's just because it's a different interaction with, like, police that that white white Americans, especially, like, probably white males have with um with the police but i will say that like when i was younger when i was in college um i got like a minor in possession uh with alcohol and like me you know i didn't have a lawyer right like i um i didn't come from like a wealthy family um and like i said my parents you know my parents um my dad just finished high school and my mom didn't even finish high school so you know we did we didn't have like this this like buffer system either but I, I remember being actually like scared, like scared shitless when when I saw the cop um, approach us, you know. Um, but then I think about it, and 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 like it wasn't that big of a deal. I got the minor possession, and um, you know, I just did this like uh, this like I don't know. It was like a twenty hour. Yeah, it's like it was like I don't know. 
three three days or something or four no it's four days it was like two weekends <laughs> of like classes and then it gets wiped off and you just go about your normal life again right um and like you know like you said meanwhile um you know it's not like you know it's not like you know white kids are still doing drugs right and it's just a completely recreational drugs whatever it may be um and they're not having their entire like future hamstrung by these types of uh interactions what or worse decision? they're not they're not getting killed like in the yeah. case of um you know uh, as in the cases that were that happened a few weeks ago whether it's Fernando Castillo whether right. it's right. Mike the Brown, list goes on yeah you know and that's why I started because I protested for when Mike Brown died was murdered mm-hmm. I protested when Trayvon Martin was murdered I protested when Sandra Bland was murdered, right? So clearly the voices that we're screaming out and the ears that we need to be heard into are not being heard. Yeah. So I have decided to finally like including, and this is, this is the, this is the best part about educating yourself. You start understanding that there's different battles to this shit. Right. Systematically, yeah, you could get rid of the Jim Crow laws that prohibit me from sitting next to you. But what is the point of of sitting next to you if I can't afford the meal? Right. Yeah. Right. So that's why Martin Luther King started taking the poor man battle. Mm -hmm. And Tennessee, when he went down to make his last speech when he got shot he was organizing a union of trash collectors black tr- trash collectors who weren't getting paid as equally to uh, as their counterparts of the white drivers and they were allowed to drive so they were always in the back throwing the trash having to pull their heavy load mm-hmm. yep. and the people the ladies that uh, showed Martin Luther King that road were called the National Welfare Rights Organization. And these were an African-American woman that understood that they wanted an equal pay for the work they've done. And they got Martin Luther King educated on what it means to have financial independency. And so we don't need them. And that creates strength. Yeah. And so that's where I'm going to take my battle now. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we should talk about that because, um, yeah. you know, like you talked, you, you sent me some information on um, the poor, uh, poor people's campaign or the, yes, sir. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and things like that. And I think what you just mentioned, right. Is with like Martin Luther King um, is um, I think a lot of times, especially like I had noticed <laughs> some of my, family like you know posting uh, memes and, and pictures of like mlk and you know and of memes you know, of mlk memes like you know just a picture yeah. with like something he said or a quote uh-huh. right which which is like one of those things too where it's kind of like you know like that's okay but I also had to battle a lot with like my, like I mentioned this earlier with my family. It's just because they kept saying things like, 
you know, I'm okay. So I have to do this peacefully and no looting and all the, and, and like the, the whole thing that just drives me crazy about it is that I, I just want them to stop, you know, it's like, just, can you just stop and like, uh, and listen instead yeah. of like, you know, like just stop. Like you don't, you don't, we don't really need that type of input from you, especially now. I mean, it's been like, you know, what, like over 50 years and like, yeah, things have gotten somewhat better, I guess, yes, but it's yes. like, but there's still so much more to be done. And, and we don't really need that. Like, like you don't need to, to berate and bash the, um, the black lives matter, for instance, over the head with like, with Martin Luther King quotes, like really, like if anything, they, they know probably more about the history of, of, of what he wanted to do. And like you had just mentioned, like he was really starting to like, obviously with like, uh, you know, equal rights and, and, and voting rights and all of that. But then later on in his life before, right before he was assassinated, he was like starting to really understand that like there was this comprehensive structural change that needed to happen. And it had to start with like economics and, um, workers rights and so on and so forth. And he, I think that's when like people were really beginning to be scared of him because much like the poor people's campaign, he was building like a coalition. Right. Of white people. Of white people, war, poor white people. And then, and like, that's a very, like that challenges the powerful and the powerful are going to fight back against something like that. hundred percent. So anyway, I just, that's the type of thing where I just, I, I, like, that's to me, like, that's where it, it gets me because it's kind of just like, you know, again, like, like you said, white America has the power, right. In terms of like government, you just look at the government. I mean, it's mostly white males. Yeah. Um, like we have the power and we don't, they don't want us to keep preaching to them. They want us to just listen and make changes. Yeah. And so when you constantly focus on like these these things that that just reinforce old habits and old stereotypes about oh black people are violent and black people are looting again and black people don't care about property and so it like it just continuously reinforces that awfulness that we're just trying to get to put right. away <laughs> like for once and for all just put it away and move on. Um so no, I think we should definitely talk about that. Like, so you you're you're approaching it more from like a like we do need to build a coalition in this country, and 100. I think it starts there. I really do. I think you're right. Like, I think it starts with, um, the lower class coalition saying enough is enough. And that's what I feel like this is has turned out into. This has turned more than about George Floyd's murder. It felt like the country was saying, I can't breathe. The pandemic, the economical different uh, difficulties, the pressure of wages going down and down and down, but your bills are still going up. You're still living in your car. You still can't afford the, the food that you can't, you barely are scrapping by. But then if you don't eat healthy, you're going to have a poor health, which is going to accrue higher health bills. And then it's just like, you get trapped in that cycle. Mm-hmm. And we have the solution for it. We have the answer for it. But instead, we choose not to. So it's hard for me to be optimistic when I know that 
we've made the wrong choices over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And so what I'm hoping this time around is that all those enraged people that came to the nation's capital, whatever city that you were in, wherever you protested, I want you to go back into your own community, into your own house, into your own financial institutions, and weed out those nasty behaviors, weed out the nasty culture that is stifling all of us from moving forward. Yeah. And we can't move forward until your health, your economical, and your social is balanced and you know what you can say. Today is good, but I could plan for the future. If you can't even plan for the future and you just scrap it today, tomorrow's still coming. And you're not even done with the battle from yesterday. Right. So you're always going to be fighting with your back to the wall. And when you're always thinking from a place of scarcity, no, you don't make no right decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Now I agree with you. It, and I think that's where I just, I also struggle because I, I do think this feels different to me too, but, yeah. um, but then yet I still know people again, like, like I said, I, I, I grew up with these people and, and sometimes honestly, it's just, it's, it feels hard, but I'm hopeful for like the next generation, like I mentioned before. And, and some of the things that I just, I hate, I hate to say it, but it, like, sometimes I just, I think that, um, like, you know, those generations that came before us, like, they're just, I, I sometimes I feel like it, 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 it's holding us back. And I don't mean to put them all in like the same, yeah. in the same, um, boat or like that they're all like that. But I, I just think that a lot of times on social issues, on social change, where there's such an outcry especially from like, you know, the younger generation that had to move up through that system and they're just exasperated and exhausted. Yeah. And they're saying like, this is, this was not, you know, this was not cool. This was not easy. This was not yeah. fun. This was awful. Yeah. Um, or I know someone who is no longer here. Yeah. Right. They yeah. were, like you said, they were reaching for their wallet and they got shot. Right. Um, and it's just, it's like one of those things where we just like, we're, um, we're sick and tired of being held back, I think. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I, you know, it's, it's gotten me to, to rethink what I need to do too. And, and especially like raising the next generation. And it was, I just want to share because it was, I was telling my, um, my children about it because we were actually trying to go to the store, um, last week and they, it was um, when they were actually protesting, they were walking down, um, um, like, uh, Sam, Sam Ig. So they were like walking down the street and the street was blocked off. Uh -huh. And I just, I just happened to like, not know that I was just going to the store. I didn't really think about it. And I, we were stopped there for a while. And of course, like my kids are like, what's going on? And I was like, well, I'm stuck in the car. What else? You know, I'm going to explain right, it to right, them right. what's going on. And, right. and it's just a, it was like a really good moment because, you know, then even they were like, um, you know, we were talking about race and color and all of that. And even my daughter, she's like, well, you're white. And I'm like, yeah, I am white. And she's like, I'm white. And I'm like, well, no, you're not actually white. Um, you're, you're half, 
white, but yeah. you're half Filipino. That is not yeah. white. That is a different, um, you yeah. know, group of peoples that were just uh, in the Philippines. It's a different part of the world. That's it. Um, but I'm like, it doesn't matter. It, just, it doesn't matter. You didn't choose. Uh, you didn't choose any of that, right? You had no choice in it. I had no choice in it. Right. Um, and, and so it was just like a, it was a good moment. But at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, it really made me think that we just have like such a, a lot of work to do. And I think it just like you said, it starts in your community and it starts with the people that you can influence. One on one. Right. Like we want to like we want to change the world. Yeah. And like I feel that way sometimes, too. Um, but ultimately, it's just. That's like um, almost an impossible task. But the thing that you can do immediately is just those in your sphere, your family, yeah. you know, close friends, that type of thing. Yeah. And call it out, you know, when you call it, it out, when yeah, you see call it, it out, call yeah. it out. Yeah. Like Martin Luther King said, when you see some kind of bigotry or any kind of wrongdoing, and you don't say nothing. You are as much of the participant in that as the person doing it. Yeah. And so I love, like, seeing videos of Karen, you know, that white lady from, uh, what's her name, from New York. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, called yeah. The, uh, the police. And she understood what she was saying when she said a black man. Right. And so that's what we got to weed out. We got to weed out those thoughts. Yeah. And, and we can't just hope the next generation just comes up to that conclusion. Yeah. We have to have these engaging conversations with our kids because right. they trust black people are. Yeah, exactly. Black are. people yeah. can't afford yeah. not to have those conversations. Right. And the, and like just really quickly, the apathy. I think that's what's right now. Like that's our one of the biggest hurdles is just like I said, if you see it, you have to call it out now because the apathy. Right. The just the non-willingness to engage. Yeah. Is also hurting it. Right? Yeah. It's it's hurting the progress because it continues to like let these little things, like I said, these little things fester, like black people are lazy and, and just these like little tiny things that just add up to become systemic racism. Right. But you know where that myth of the black people are lazy came from? I, I mean, I, you know, I've heard like variations on it, like, like what? throughout the years, like, um, well, like one of them is like, you know, they don't work and they don't pay bills and like no, that no, kind of stuff. Where did that like that come from? Why were they lazy or why? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know like what it. So in the like, South, I don't, I didn't think that they were lazy, but I so just, I don't South, know. A lot of poor people wore didn't wear shoes, right? And so mm -hmm. this is including white folks, or this is including like every most poor people didn't wear shoes. And so there was a, this worm that would go into their system through their bare foot. Oh, I have heard about this, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a parasite, so right? It makes you, it makes yeah. you uh, uh, lethargic. It makes you tired. It makes you not want to move. But I didn't and know this, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Remember them? I do remember this now, so, yeah. Uh, I forgot what the name of that worm was um, or that bacteria and no, so, no, it is, it's, it's a worm. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a parasite. It's like a parasite. It's like a parasite yeah, worm. Yeah. yeah. And so um, that's where that pe black people are lazy came from. But black people being lazy is the far, you know how hard you have to be complete, poor? Yeah, it's a complete and utter ridiculous myth. <laughs> like, it's just complete. <laughs> and, like, it's hard being poor. You know what I mean? 
and not all black people are poor and not all uh, white people are rich right and we know right. that we know yeah. that yeah but we got to get rid of the class system or the racism that is implemented in all fashion of our society mm-hmm. we got to weed it out as not just by what is it called um uh what is that movement that was started in the 90s to have uh, black kids integrate higher education in different places? Um, oh, yeah. Um, well, like equal opportunity, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but what was the name? What was that? Um, so uh, it's not just those. It's not just by the one kid that you pick out of the, right. the ghetto, right? To go to Harvard and to no. Yale. Or, diversity. It's like diversity agenda. Diversity, you know, they yeah, they had this big thing of like diversity, yeah, uh, diversity hires, diversity, uh, uh, like into like yeah, like into Ivy League schools that type of. Thing. I know what you're talking about. I don't know like the actual name of the. Of and the so program. instead of those kind of programs, have the programs build an institution in their community, you know, yeah. instead of having police come into the community just when something is happening, have a community center where the police and the community are engaging constantly right with white kids white kids see police officer from day one right they're in their community they're in their uh uh, uh, dance recital they're in their uh family they're in the community right but the only time most people most black people see the police officers when something has happened and there's a reaction to it yes and that kind of first engagement is not the first way you need to start the relationship yeah if you don't live in the neighborhood, you can't police the neighborhood. Right. Yeah, you I mean, there's that neighborhood church. You can't go there. Yeah. You know? Actually, so I think having... Mm-hmm. So I, I just quickly, they actually, they mentioned that in Minneapolis. Like, the... Um, it, it was something ridiculous. Like, 25% of the actual uh, police force in Minneapolis yeah. uh, actually lived in, like, Minneapolis. Right? Observe. Like, the actual... No, no, like the proper in the city. So yeah. like over 70% lived in the suburbs, like outside of the city. Wow. Right. Where they were so actually police. You don't know whose neighbor that is. Yeah. You don't know yeah. who that lady is in that room. So you only hear for a reaction. And then with the militarization of the... Oh, my God. With the militarization of the... <laughs> sorry, that's my cat guy. Cat, cat attack. <laughs> with the militarization of the police force, you know... For, for the last two decades, yeah. like these tactical weaponry and the lack of training in de-escalation, community building, instead of investing in that, you put them in there with, from like the way even the system goes from the day you sign up to the moment you get your gun is six months, six months. In six months, all you're probably learning is, like, tactical stuff. What happened to the other, the humanity part, the problem-solving part? Yeah. And so I think that's the next step forward. And I don't know if I'm if I'm 100% there with abo- abolishing police forces, you know? Sure. Yeah. But and a whole I don't complete know. I... reform, a reform uh, what is it? a complete refreshment of the whole system, I'm down yeah. with it. Yeah, like a reforming or like a just, I mean, I, I think a lot of the calls, 
you know, and maybe the wording is not great, like, because I think a lot of the wording is defund the police, which, um, again, we're in a society, like, we're in a social media society where people don't take the time to actually read, like, what that means, right? They're not, they see defund the police, and they have that initial outrage or that initial, like, what, what are you talking about? No police force? Um, But if you actually look into it, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not abolishing police department it's it's just restructuring and rethinking how they operate within a community it's not exactly right it's it's not like it's not the status quo which is basically like the police should handle everything uh you know mental health crisis send in the police like um wild animals uh loose on the street send in the police like just think yeah think thinking about it and differently like maybe we have a we spend a little bit more money on mental health services and, sure. and those are the people that engage in these calls rather than social workers armed oh. armed people with like vests on and you know very threatening because you know that's just that's kind of how policing has been has been done for so long so i think i think you're right and there's a there's a lot of little like problems that we just have to get over and then there's obviously some huge structural problems but it's we just need to listen. Um, for those of you that are listening, that are part of like, um, you know, the, just the white community, um, we just need to listen and we need to stop being, we really do just need to quit with the apathy, um, towards the problem. And, and like you said, just, um, especially in the sphere of influence that you have and in the community that you have, like we should be, we should do everything we can within our power to help make the changes necessary. Yeah. And have, see, become the change that you want. Engage mm-hmm. in the conversation that you think that's going to lead forward. And don't sit there just because you want to be comfortable in your afternoon tea not to have that engagement and call out Karen over there being racist as fuck. Mm-hmm. Don't be scared. Step up. Engage. Yeah. Challenge. I mean, just, it's okay to challenge somebody. Like I said, I had to challenge a few people. I had to challenge a few people. Um, somebody, somebody told me to... <laughs> So somebody told me I need to uh, read and study my Bible, and I, I clapped back and said, "I think you need to. Um, I think you need. <laughs> I said, I think you need to. I think you need to um, read and and study uh, some books by some black authors about what it's like to grow up in America as a black man. I think I you need to actually Gladwell." You know? I th- yeah, I said Tanahasi Coates. I think you need to read Tanahasi oh. Coates between the oh. world and me. I think you need to, you know, challenge. I, I, I just, I, I agree. I like, like, I mean, I'm not trying to be an asshole here, but I, to understand race, uh, racial inequality and systemic racism in America. Yeah. I, I don't think you should be, your source should be the Bible. Like, um, <laughs> you know, look like the, nothing taken away from the Bible, but the Bible, if I wrote a, like, if some dude told me to write a, a paper about racial inequality in America, and I wrote the paper, and my one source on the damn paper was the Bible. That dude would fail me out of the class, right? I mean, come yeah. on, right? Like that's it's right. just that's not the proper source for this right. particular uh, this particular problem. And even knowing that the Bible was used to keep slaves in their place, you know, it says in the Bible, you should bow to your master. Uh, yeah. Anyways, guys, on a positive note, just be be the change that you want. You be see the change and make it. Um, I want to wrap. Love you guys. Be good. Yeah.
thanks thanks everyone take care if you're out there protesting you know stay safe and um, be safe keep keep up the good work yeah yes sir all right